0: The Automotive News Canada podcast is brought to you by Diamond Coat. Did you know Diamond Coat has a 96% claims approval rate? This translates into happy customers and repeat service business. But really, you get much, much more when you become a Diamond Coat dealer. Advantages like in-house chemical manufacturing, product fulfillment, bilingual claims support, and a highly experienced team with decades of F&I experience. Visit diamondcoat.com to get started. Diamond Coat. We've got you covered. Hi everyone and welcome to the August 19th, 2022 episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. I'm your host, Greg Lason, the digital and mobile editor at Automotive News Canada. My guest today advised the Canadian government on the renegotiation of the North American Free Trade Agreement, helping shape the United States-Mexico-Canada agreement. He also helped Canada apply a full-court press on U.S. politicians as they wrote the Inflation Reduction Act this year. Which, thanks to a loud contingent of Canadian voices, now includes consumer tax credits on zero emissions vehicles made in Canada and sold in the United States. But, the legislation also includes even more content rules on EVs and their batteries. So what does it all mean for Canadian Automotive and its supply chain? How close did the industry come to extinction here? We'll get the answers to those questions and more when I speak with the head of the Automotive Parts Manufacturers Association, Flavio Volpe, on this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. Flavio, thanks for joining me on the podcast this week. My pleasure, Greg. Uh, Always a pleasure. It is. It really is. The Inflation Reduction Act has now been signed off on by U.S. President uh, Joe Biden. What does this new act and the U.S. ZEV tax credit in that law mean for the Canadian auto industry? Well, first of all, your listeners should know that it brings us back from the brink of last year's Build Back Better Act that had the
1: same EV tax credit in it, and last year's out of nowhere proposal that was pushed by Michigan Senator Debbie Stabenow, who, in my opinion, was looking to gain favor with the UAW the all-important UAW in uh, the terms this year, took the existing EV tax credit uh, in the U.S. of $7,500 and changed it in two ways, actually three. It proposed to add another $4,500 credit for cars made in uh, UAW or other, other unionized plants, another $500 for cars with batteries made in the U.S., and then change that $7,500 into being only uh, for cars made in America. What that did was threaten uh, the Canadian industry in a way no president or administration uh, or Senate leadership ever did before, uh, because it would have excluded essentially the 1.6 million Canadian cars out of the 2 million we make a year from consideration by U.S. consumers. And, you know, i had been asked, I was asked uh, at that time, uh, what did that mean? I think you and I talked about it. Uh, It's an existential threat. There are no other places for us to send cars profitably. We send them overland to the U.S. We're geared to supply the U.S. If 80% of our market disappeared, then we would be dead. So what the Inflation Reduction Act does is it resurrects a lot of the major climate change initiatives that were in the original bill that, uh, went into a coma when Senator Joe Manchin said he couldn't support it and the Dems didn't bring it forward for a vote who were doing this. And on the Zero Emissions Tax Credit, removed that $4,500 labor bump-up and the $500 battery bump-up and added a word, North, before America, in must be made in North America. And so now every EV made in Canada uh, of which we you know increasing numbers and increasing platforms will be eligible
0: for it. We're back from the brink. I, I described to some. Someone asked me if build bullet dodged. I said it's a missile dodged. <laughs> you were part of the renegotiation of NAFTA. You know, um, advising the Canadian government, and then you were lobbying against all of that originally outlined last year in this new act. How did this lobbying effort compare to the discussions around NAFTA? Were they more difficult? Were they more important? Just give me a feeling of how those discussions played out in regards to the Inflation Reduction Act and and the ZEV tax credit within. You know, the original NAFTA
1: renegotiation was a scenario in which the American administration that we were negotiating with and the, and the Mexican one, we all agreed... That we wanted to bump up the amount of local content in North American vehicles uh, sold tariff free in the three countries. We debated how much more and in what configuration. It was a strong and hard debate, and there were some big fights with Donald Trump uh, and his administration. I won't forget those. But this one was different. This one, the dynamic on this one was the U.S. administration targeting Canadian-made cars and Mexican-made cars and suggesting they are not welcome for uh, U.S. Federal Treasury-sourced credits. That's a very popular opinion, of course. In any country, you'll be able to find a lot of people saying protectionist things when you're using a public purse. But it's also was a, it was illegal under, the, illegal under the WTO. It was never going to stand... But it was going to stand for a couple of years before we got a successful challenge, and two years would have uh, severely crippled us if not killed us. And so it was a team Canada approach, and you know both levels of government, you know two major parties that sit on the other side of uh, of the political spectrum. And uh, I was part of uh, the federal effort, you know, and some very public efforts, road shotgun with Minister Inc, with senators. we We did our own senatorial meetings congressional meetings. We met with the White House. Uh, We met with uh, Department of Energy, Department of Transportation. We went to Lansing. And in Ontario, the provincial government struck a a premier's advisory board on U.S. competitiveness. We were part of that and really kind of focused on the other major state capitals uh, in the region who would be hurt. You know, Ohio's, we, we focused on talking to Columbus about how many Ohio based parts suppliers would be hurt by not having customers in uh, Canada and vice versa. So it, it was a real comfortable effort, but I think we mostly agreed on the fact that we wanted to move North America into a different direction during NAFTA negotiations. In this one, U.S. specific interests were looking to move U.S. interests forward.
0: We'll be right back after this short break. Everyone wants
2: a new vehicle, including Thieves. Across Canada, We're facing massive inventory shortages and delivery delays. This is now causing vehicle theft and carjackings to rise. In response, Diamond Coat partnered with KYCS. That stands for Keep Your Community Safe, Global Inc. to offer Invisitrack Plus, the best available stolen vehicle recovery system on the market today. This covert device can be used within your dealership to track, maintain, and safeguard your assets, or it can be sold on its own. As an upgraded hardware option to our Invisitrack theft deterrent labels. Working exclusively with Crime Stoppers, we're able to connect with local law enforcement almost immediately after a vehicle is reported stolen. Not only can you rely on our expansive network to help recover your vehicle, our Invisitrack Plus is also backed with warranty benefits like partial and total loss prevention, trip interruption benefits, and more, with terms available up to 60 months. For more information on how you can protect your lot, and offer the same great recovery benefits to your customer, visit DiamondCoat.com. Diamond Coat, we've got you covered.
0: Welcome back to the podcast where I'm speaking with the head of the APMA, Flavio Volpe. Just this week, we learned only about 20 vehicles will qualify for the new credit through the end of this year. And there's only one Canadian vehicle among those 20, and that's the Chrysler Pacifica Hybrid assembled in Windsor, Ontario. January 1st, even fewer vehicles will qualify for that because they are moving the requirements, the percentage of North American content up uh, in order to qualify. How long before we see more Canada-made vehicles on that list?
1: It'll be about three to five years. All those major commitments that we heard from Ford, General Motors, Toyota, Honda, Chrysler, Dodge in Canada. Uh, Lexus in Canada are all about programs that'll be manufactured starting in 2023, 24, 25, 26. It is almost irrelevant how many cars are on that list today, even though there's 19 other cars on that list that aren't Canadian. The absolute number of cars that are on that list is probably 5% of sales anyway. What is important is as both governments, and I should include also Mexico here, and all major jurisdictions around the world have committed to hard targets or mandates to 100% um, zero emission vehicle sales by the 2030s, it's the precedent. If we let this precedent establish itself in the U.S. that excluded Canadian cars, then you can bet that all those investment announcements, cars and batteries being made here that were going to come to market over the next series of years, would all have been orphaned. There'd be no point in making an electric vehicle in Brampton if you couldn't sell it in the U.S. or Ingersoll or Woodstock or Alliston or Windsor. And so that number will grow. I've been hearing that criticism uh, by people saying, oh, well, I mean, the list wasn't isn't robust and Canada's not really on it. It's not going to drive sales. Maybe from a consumer point of view, sales are urgent. You need a car, you want it, it's a purchase today. From a manufacturer's point of view, you have to have a 10 to 20 year outlook. Oh, I'm going to build a factory or I'm going to retool a factory that's going to cost hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars to do. I'm going to build a battery plant that's going to cost five billion. I don't go year to year. I need to know exactly uh, what my prospects are in the market in seven years and in 12 years and in 20 years. And a U.S. only tax credit is the biggest signal that you should invest on the other side of the Detroit River.
0: So you represent suppliers. And so I want to know this. How does this tax credit and this sort of reshaping of incentives affect the Canadian auto supply chain? Um, when it comes to electric vehicles and the future of auto assembly?
1: That's a good question, Uh, Greg. Let me just take a step back. Nobody ever asked me that specific question because it's all kind of always wrapped up in what does it mean for the car makers. On the supplier side, the more cars committed to by car makers in this country, the more parts, absolute numbers, get shipped to those factories. If those five assemblers in this country, none of which are Canadian, commit to making uh, very specific high-volume models, all of them EV, like we're talking EV versus internal combustion today, EV is table stakes 10 years from now. We won't even use the EV tax. We won't even call it an EV tax credit. It's a purchase credit, period. The more commitment, the higher volume in sales, and on the battery side, where a lot of uh, new Canadian parts suppliers are starting to emerge. Uh, where you make the batteries is where you're going to make the cars and vice versa. There's a lot of commitment to batteries happening here in Ontario. Uh, started with uh, Ford making the commitment to doing batteries in Oakville, Atlantis doing them uh, in Windsor with LG, and then Umicor showing up in Kingston uh, with a $1.5 billion investment. Uh, For uh, currently undisclosed uh, OEM clients, suppliers who are doing everything from cell manufacture to thermal management systems to power electronics are going to have a local value proposition. And um, that volume is going to help drive the value prop to source that in Kingsville and Belleville rather
0: than Korea or Germany or China. So I want to know this. And you mentioned, you know, we avoided a missile. Some have said this one change, and you mentioned it, the word north, saved Canadian auto assembly. What do you say to that assertion? How close were we to being extinct when it came or when it comes to auto assembly? You know, I I
1: hate answering these questions uh, because I'm always the guy on that front line. And sometimes people say, well, but you're always uh, saying that. I am, because we're always under threat, because we don't have a Canadian assembler. We have some very long-term, friendly uh, commitments by great investors that are American and Japanese. And they're run by Canadians here who really are the stewards of the Canadian operations. But we could disappear because of a decision in Tokyo and a decision in Paris and a decision in Detroit. And anything that cuts our market access, which is the U.S., period turns us into cut flowers. You know, when you cut a flower and you deliver it to your honey, a dozen roses, they're beautiful, but the, the wick has already been lit. They're garbage in a week or two weeks. Any Canadian operation is going to continue delivering parts and cars the day after something like this passes. But they will have become cut flowers. And it's just a question of how long can you keep them artificially alive? That's where we were.
0: Flavio, excellent insight as always. Always love having you on the the podcast. Thanks for joining me this week. Anytime, Greg. Love the podcast. I want to thank Flavio for being my guest this week. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, have a suggestion, or simply want to comment, email me at glason at autonews.com. And remember, you can listen to all our previous podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play, or on our website. Just click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage at automotivenews.ca. That does it for this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. So long, everybody.